there's always two main outcomes. You have those who believe and those who do not believe. There were no doubt some there who had witnessed this great miracle and they chose not to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But it continues to this day. You have people who hear the testimony of Jesus Christ and there's always two main choices, either to believe or to not believe. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, today we're going to conclude John chapter 12. This is the third week in John 12, so we pick up and resume in verses 27 through 50, Jesus' hour had come, and it was the time that was going to lead him to the cross that we might be saved. Today we're going to pick up, as I said, in verses 27 through 50, and we're going to see a, a sermon I titled, If I Am Lifted Up, in verses 27 through 36, A Troubled Soul, verses 37 through 41, Blinded and Hardened Hearts, and 42 through 50, abiding in the light. Let's go ahead and pick up the first few verses and open our teaching in prayer. We find in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Father, I pray that you would glorify the name of Jesus among us today. And Father, I pray that you would just prick our hearts with the teaching of your word. Open us up to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Give us understanding, Lord, to your truths, that we might walk in faith with you as your children. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we find in verse 27, Jesus saying, for this purpose, he had a troubled soul. He said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. It really shows us that as the clock continued to tick toward the hour of Jesus's death, Jesus's soul was troubled. It means to be stirred up or to be agitated. It speaks about an inner distress. He was troubled about facing the cross, but also over those who would reject him 
as their Savior, as the Messiah, and for the trials for those who believed in him would soon have to face. Perhaps a prophetic word concerning Jesus at this hour in Psalm 88.3, it says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. And here we find that Jesus knew his purpose was to do the will of his Father, that it led him to the cross. Peter reminds us in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, that Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands. Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, and through his troubled soul, and his prayer to his father, we find him crying out, save me from this hour. And we get a glimpse of Jesus's humanity. He knew he was going to face the cross and in his humanity, he was troubled about it. He said, Lord, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come. And so he cried out, verse 28, glorify your name, father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus knew that the cross would bring glory to his father. Therefore, Jesus placed the will of his father before his own will and his own glory. He placed God's glory, God's will over his own. Here's an interesting thing that I was struck by these two verses in Hebrews this week, Hebrews 5 seven and eight, where the author of Hebrews tells us who, speaking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of godly fear, though he was a son, and this really stood out to me, Hebrews five, eight. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus Christ learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We know Jesus is God. We know he is God who came in flesh. And yet Jesus had to learn obedience by these things which he suffered. Not my will, but your will be done was the prayer of Jesus. The Bible Knowledge Commentary said of this verse, Hebrews 5, 8, they said, the whole experience was a form of education for Jesus before he served his suffering people. His unique relationship with God notwithstanding, he was a son. He had to experience the true meaning of obedience in terms of suffering it entailed. Having done so, he was made perfect for the role he would play as the people's captain and high priest. Jesus Christ had to learn obedience, and it speaks about the cross. He said, Lord, glorify your name. And God said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And so the people heard, in verses 29 and 30, the people who stood by heard it and said, it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. As Jesus cried out to his father, God, God cried out to his son 
to assure Jesus that in his hour of trial, he ensured him as a testimony to those who were near. So not only did he, the father speak to Jesus to give him assurance that I'll be with you throughout this hour of trial, but God also spoke to Jesus in the hearing of the people that the people might hear and believe. You know, I've learned that God will speak to both believers and unbelievers, and yet his voice is not often distinguished as God's by unbelievers often, but also at times by many believers. They hear the voice of God, but they don't distinguish or understand that it is God speaking to them. In John 10, 25 through 27, it says, I told you, Jesus speaking, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. To distinguish God's voice from the noise of this world, we must yield to the Holy Spirit's guidance over our lives. You know, God can speak and yet people will not hear. And then Jesus went on to say, this is part of our memory verse for this month, John 12, 32, but verses 31 through 33, it says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. And I, if I am lifted up, a reference to the cross, and through the cross, Satan was defeated and will one day be cast out, one day be cast out of heaven. But it also reminds us of the first gospel. The first gospel is found in Genesis 3.15. And if you recall, last week I used this, I believe, in our diagram that we had with God's design. Sin entered into the world, the first gospel Genesis 3.15, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. That there has been this battle between Christ, the Messiah and Satan. And some teach like the Jehovah's Witness that actually Satan and Jesus were brothers and God went to his sons and asked them to come up with the best plan of salvation. Jesus's plan was best. And so he became savior and Satan became the devil. The Bible never teaches us that Satan was a son. He was the sons of God in the sense of created being an angel. But yet he, in his pride, tried to be lifted up above God himself and God cast him down. And it's through the cross that this takes place, that judgment, we find healing and salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ, where in 1 Peter 2.24, it tells us who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. It's through the cross that we find healing and salvation, that is, if we're willing to look to Jesus and his work on the cross in life-saving faith. It has been said that the cross is a magnet between heaven and earth. It draws man 
mankind to God. So Jesus used this reference, our memory verse this month, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. He's referred to this before in John 3, 14 and 15, where he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it refers to a time there when the children of Israel were in the wilderness in their 40 years of wilderness wanderings, that they had sinned against the Lord over and over again. But at this particular time, God allowed poisonous snakes to come into the camp and they bit people and people were dying. And then God told Moses to make a bronze serpent. Bronze in the Bible always refers to judgment. And that's why you have at the tabernacle or temple, you have the bronze altar. That's where the sacrifices were offered. There was a golden altar in the temple, in the tabernacle, where the blood was sprinkled and the incense were burned. But the sacrifices were offered upon the bronze altar. Bronze is always seen as a point of judgment. And so God said, make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And then he said, erect the pole, put it up in the middle of the camp, and whoever looks at the serpent will live. I've seen artists try to depict this scene where there are those who are in the camp, hundreds if not thousands in the painting, but you can see some looking to the bronze serpent in faith, and you can see healing taking place in their countenance and others refusing to look. We live in a day and age where there's people refusing to look. They don't want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a day and age where we've all been bitten by the serpent. That is that serpent of old, the devil. And we are dying because of our sins. And our only hope is to look to Jesus in life-saving faith to be saved. So he goes on to say, verses 34 and 35, The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Although they connected Jesus being lifted up with the cross, they did not comprehend the purpose of the cross for the redemption of mankind. Here's the problem of the people of Jesus' day, even the disciples at the beginning, they were looking for the Messiah of the second coming instead of the Messiah of the first coming. They were looking for a Messiah who would bring victory to their people instead of the suffering servant who would come and offer his life on the cross in behalf of his people. We already looked at it uh, a couple of weeks ago. It may explain why the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus entered on that Palm Sunday. And this, a few days later, they would be many of the same people shouting, crucify, crucify him. They said, who is the son of man? And that was Jesus's favorite title for himself in the scriptures. Eighty-four times he referred to himself as the son of man. I believe the first time we find it in scripture is Daniel 7.13, where Daniel prophesied and said, I was watching in the night visions. We talk about dreaming at night. 
And Daniel, the prophet Daniel, I'm watching in the night visions. Can you imagine Daniel going to sleep at night thinking, Lord, what are you going to teach me tonight? What am I going to see tonight? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. One like the Son of Man. It's a phrase that Jesus used 84 times concerning himself. It's a phrase that Stephen the martyr, when he was being stoned to death in Acts 7.57, he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It is a title that we find from John when he was given the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, we have this description of the Son of Man in Revelation 1, 13 through 18. And John wrote, In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band, his hair and head were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass, as if refined in the furnace, his voice like the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. What a description of Jesus Christ, one that artists also have attempted to depict that which John had seen. But can you imagine Johnny, John, Johnny, can you imagine little Johnny like me falling at his feet like a dead man and Jesus placing his hand upon him saying, do not be afraid. It is I. But we see this light versus darkness in verses 35 and 36. And Jesus said to them a little while longer, the light, while the light is with you, walk while the, you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So once again, Jesus kind of disappeared for a while. He left perhaps the city. John doesn't tell us exactly where he went at this point, but he speaks about light versus darkness. And we find that there is light versus darkness. It's in our world today. It's a theme throughout the Bible. It's a theme in the Gospel of John as well. And we know that light displaces darkness. The older I get, the more I want light. It's because my eyes are failing. I don't see as good as I used to. And sometimes all I need is a little more light to help me accomplish the task that I'm after. You know, whenever you go on a cave tour, if you have the opportunity, when the guide will get you in that cave and get you in the heart of the cave where there is no light whatsoever except for the man-made light that's in, been brought in either by lantern or by electricity, there's a point, and they do it in every single cave tour, they turn the lights off. They want you to know what total darkness looks like. 
And at that point, you can put your hand in front of your face and see nothing. You can't see your hand or your neighbor. You could be waving in front of them. They wouldn't see you. But then the light of one, well, back in the day, it would be the light of one big lighter. You could light up and see faces around that, the light of one match. Today, maybe it's a, somebody pull out their iPhone, turn the light on. And it's amazing how much you can see with just a little bit of light when you're in complete darkness. Jesus speaks about this contention, darkness versus the light. In John 3, 19, he says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Jesus said, while the light is with you, it reminds us of the limited opportunity of salvation that has been made available through Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. There's a limited opportunity and today could be that day of salvation. I was speaking about D.L. Moody, I may have said this last week. I know I said it to a group of teens last week. But D.L. Moody, as we know, in the great Chicago fire, he lost uh, a great number of his congregation. But the fire started on a Sunday night. He was there in church. He preached to his church there in Chicago. And he told them that night, go home and think about what I've said to you. And next week, come back and make a decision. Little did Moody know at the time he said those words that the fire had already began burning in Chicago. And little did he know many who were sitting in that congregation would never have the opportunity to come back a week later. They would die because of the fire. For D.L. Moody, it meant that he would never preach the gospel without offering an invitation. He would press people to be saved at that moment, at that hour, because you never know how much time we are given. It's something that Paul even spoke about in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, where he said, in the acceptable time you have, I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We live in a world where there is a lot of darkness. And the Bible tells us in John 1, 9 that Jesus is the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. And those who walk in the true light, Jesus Christ, our Lord, they are those who become the sons and daughters of the light. But you have to, you have to believe. You have to make a choice. You have to decide whether you're going to continue in the darkness or walk in the light of Jesus Christ. But here we find, just like in our world today, that there were many blinded eyes and hardened hearts, verses 37 through 41. We find in verse 37 that many signs were given, but few believers. And although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. We've learned in the study of the Gospel of John that John gave seven specific signs, miracles that Jesus did. And John believed that these were sufficient for someone to read and to learn about Jesus that they might believe. In fact, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, and I've read these two verses over and over again this year. 
John wrote, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yet even with the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave, after being in the grave for four days, the majority of Israel did not believe that Jesus was their coming Messiah. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for what is taught us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. It's my prayer for us this day. And I pray, Father, that if there is one who is in need of prayer today, that they would come and just seek your face. If there is one who, Lord, has never asked you to be the Lord and Savior of their life, Lord, perhaps they have been worrying a bit about the coming judgment, and Lord, you've already saved them. Lord, whatever the prayer need might be, I pray that they'd be willing to come and lay it at your feet. This day we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Hey.